transported there Then I will be Serenaded by angels Up to the throne Serenaded by angels Finally at home Surrounded by praises To Mother's Day to all you wonderful, beautiful, self-sacrificing mothers of First Baptist Church of Grey Gables. I hope it's a wonderful, wonderful day for you. Uh, just a reminder, at the end of our service, uh, our ushers are going to have just a small gift uh, for all of our mothers here at the door. So make sure you grab that, just a small, tiny token of appreciation uh, from us to you to thank you for uh, loving your children and raising them to know Christ. Now, uh, to all the husbands and sons out there, if this is the only gift your mom gets on Mother's Day, you failed, okay? So don't, that's not, we're not doing this for you, okay? You get her something, spend the day serving her. Um, actually, don't spend the day serving her, spend every day serving her as she serves the Lord. Um, Tremendous gift of our mothers. I'm not going to do a typical Mother's Day sermon. I'm not going to preach out of Proverbs 31 or did what we do last year and, and talk about Hannah or some uh, of the godly mothers because I know the mothers of First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, um, they just want the Word of God preached. That's, uh, that's a Mother's Day gift from me to you. And so we're going to continue in our track in the uh, Gospel of John chapter uh, 14 and we're going to look at just uh, three verses uh, this morning, uh, but don't be fooled because as I told Pastor Justin, if I had to uh, describe this text in any way, it would be perplexing. Uh, this is a uh, perplexing text, and yet I think it's an encouraging text. And so uh, if you found your place there in the copy of God's Word, would you stand for the honor of reading God's Word out of John chapter 14, just three verses in a sermon entitled, Greater Works. Greater Works. Here's what 
the precious, inerrant, infallible Word of God says to us, His people. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go together and thank him uh, for his word. Father, we ask you that you would be our teacher now. Lord, by the Holy Spirit that you've sent into the world to guide us into your truth. Father, we, we spend this time before hearing your word, renouncing reliance upon ourselves. Father, we trust in our Lord with all of our hearts that he will make our path straight. Lord, we know the truth and the truth shall set us free. So Lord, would you come, would you open your minds here to see what is in your text and would you make it plain to us? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Once again, these... These few words, just a couple words from Jesus, perplexing as they are, I really do think are rich with powerful inspiration and and a tremendous encouragement if you consider them in their context. And so these words are going to be powerful, in, in my opinion, for your life individually, but not just for you individually, for us as a church family as well. These words, these verses here in John 14 are about greater things yet to be done. And they're all in all three things that are mentioned in our text that we're going to cover. All of us who believe in Jesus will carry out his work in a wonderful way. Second, all of us in some inscrutable way that is confusing, perplexing to us, will do greater works than the works of Jesus. No way, right? How, how is that possible? That's what it says. And then third, as a means to that end, we will have access to the living Christ and we'll be able to ask him for whatever we need and he will be faithful to give it. That's the outline. That's the text. If you didn't write all that down, don't worry. You can write it down when it comes up on the screen next. Those are these statements that we see in just these three verses. Astonishing promises, aren't they? All three of them. Perplexing, mind-blowing verses. This is why this text is so short, because it's going to take me some time to deal with all of this. So, so buckle up. So let's just take those one at a time. And number one, all of us who believe in Jesus will carry on his work. That's the first statement we learn here in this text. All of us who believe in Jesus will carry on his work work. The first half of verse 12 says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. The works that I do, he will do also. There are two crucial observations for us in this text, okay? Two crucial observations. Number one, this is not a promise simply to the apostles, This is not a promise simply to to preachers or evangelists or teachers of the word of God. It's a promise to all who believe. 
Second, this is not a promise yet to do the greater works of Jesus. That comes later. This is a promise to do the works of Jesus, which may be more amazing. This isn't the greater works than Jesus. This is the works of Jesus. And this is what he promises that we will do. We will do the works of Jesus. So let's take some time to look at those two observations. Number one, all of us who believe in Jesus... I'm sorry, <laughs> that's, the, that's the first part. Let's take one, one at a time. The first observation here is this is a promise to all believers. This is a promise to all believers. Doesn't it say that in the text? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Not apostles, not elders, not professional Christians or evangelists or highly gifted Christians, not just those radical real Christians that are real sold out. No, if this doesn't happen to you, you are not a believer. That's what the Bible says. Everyone who believes does this. This is normal Christianity is what it is. Believing on Jesus is what unites us to Jesus for eternal life. And whoever believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus did. Period. Second observation. We'll dive deeper into these. We will do the works that he did. That's already got us feeling kind of burdensome, doesn't it? It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Now, immediately what you're thinking is, when I think of the works of Jesus, I think of the miraculous stuff, right? You're probably thinking, all right, wait, Pastor Cody, are you saying that if we don't feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and fishes that, that we can't be Christians? Let's look at this. Because we create a huge problem, actually an insurmountable problem for ourselves, if we leap to equate the works that Jesus did with just the miracles. Because here's what he's done so far in John. Just in the Gospel of John, just in our time together over the last year or so in John, here's what he's done so far. Jesus has turned water into wine. He's read the mind of a Sumerian woman, and if you can read the mind of, of women, then... That's a miracle on its own, right? He has healed the official son. He had healed the man crippled for 38 years. He had fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He walked on water. He healed a man born blind. And he raised Lazarus from the dead, stinking in the grave after he was in the ground for four days. So what did Jesus mean when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, every Christian, every believer, the works that I do, he will do also. Not maybe, or sometimes, or one or two of you, especially those who are gifted, does he mean then that you will walk on water, that you will raise the dead, that you will feed 5,000? And if you don't, you're not a believer? Does he mean that? No. What, what, what's the pointer to that? Well, one of the pointers that he doesn't mean that is if you're willing to take the rest of his word into account. Remember, when we're interpreting the Bible, the best uh, tool that you can use to interpret God's word is... More of God's word. It's God's word. 
It's the best interpreter. And so uh, let's take the rest of his word into account and see if we can help see what God's really saying to us here. He says not to expect that everyone will give the gift uh, of miracles or healing. We actually read that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Paul's writing to the church talking about gifts and he says this. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit to another by the same spirit and to the another, uh, another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another the distinguishing of spirits and to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues and whether or not as we talked about in our Holy Spirit series you're a cessationist which means you believe that those supernatural gifts are not for today or you're continuationist and you're just just like me and don't want to put a stamp on the fact to say that God can't use these particular gifts today, whether or not that's the case, Paul goes on to ask the question and say, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And then he says, no. Not everybody has the same gifts. He's talking to believers. He said, you don't get disqualified as a believer if you don't have a particular gift. The New Testament didn't interpret Jesus that way. He didn't interpret Jesus the way where it said, you had to walk on water, feed 5,000, and raise the dead or heal the sick, and you're not a Christian if you don't. So whenever Jesus says, whoever believes the works that I do will also do those works, he can't mean all the miracles. So that would beg the question, okay, fair. Well, what does it mean when it says that? Well, as always, let's look at a couple of pointers I think keep us safe from trying to make this text mean what it doesn't mean. From right inside the text. In fact, just look one verse up from John 14, 12 at John 14, 11, And I want us to see the connection between verses 11 and 12. This is key to understanding this text. Verse 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So, that, that looks kind of familiar to verse 12, right? We've got believe, we've got works in that text, just like verse 12. If you will believe, you will do my works. But now, here he is in verse 11 saying, My works will actually be the thing that help you believe. That's the meaning of verse 11. We looked at it last, or two weeks ago, if you remember. Remember, if, if my word is leaving you in any doubt whatsoever about who I am, believe the works. Why? Because Jesus' works always point to the Father and always testify about who he is. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does that, whoever believes on account of my works, will do the works. Those works. So, what would be the least that this could mean? Because I think that's probably a safe place to start, right? Uh, the least of this, uh, the meaning of his works, and he doesn't tell us which one he has in mind in verse 11. He just says, when I do those works, they help you believe. The least of this means the purpose of Jesus' works were always to point to the Father, to encourage faith, and to strengthen believers. We continue on that work. 
That's the work that we Christians will also do if we are in our Father. The work He is doing is pointing people towards His truth and helping people believe. That's what we're going to define that that term works as. Because that's what we see in verse 11. Believe on account of all the works I do that point and testify to myself. I'm doing things that point you to the Father. I'm doing things that show the Father. I'm doing things that point you to my truth. I'm doing things that, that get you from doubt to faith. If you believe me, that's what your life would be. You with me so far? Every Christian does that. No exceptions. If that's not happening in your life, you're not a Christian. If you're not doing works in your life that point people to Jesus, if you're not helping people believe in Jesus, if the life you're living isn't directing in any way people toward Christ, helping them overcome their doubts, you're pointing them in the other way, you're not a Christian. Now this... This doesn't exclude mess-ups, right? Because no one ever points to Christ perfectly. But in an ultimate sense, if your life is not a reflection of pointing people to the Father, of showing them the works of Christ, in an ultimate sense, you've got no reason to believe that you're saved. That's what the text says. So if, if, if Jesus means more than that, maybe he does. I'm not sure. But I think that's enough, right? <laughs> this is huge. If we believe on Jesus, if we call ourselves a believer, we do the works that he does, and the works he did in verse 11 help them to overcome their unbelief, points them towards the truth, and brings them to faith. That's what the Christian life is about. And here's why we need to know this. It's because we're stuck we are stuck in consumer Christianity thinking that your Christian life is all centered on you. And it's not. It's centered on Jesus Christ. That's why we're called Christians. We're followers of Christ. You don't exist here for others to serve you. You exist as a Christian. Your purpose as a Christian is to point and show others the love, grace, and mercy that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is basic Christianity. This isn't just for those radical yahoos that are really sold out for Christ. This is everyone who by faith professes to know Christ. That's your role. That's God's purpose for you. You don't need seven steps to find out what God's purpose is for you. Your purpose as a Christian is to show and reflect Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you don't, you've got no evidence to believe that you're actually in Him. Here's another pointer, by the way. If you do the word search, you can do this in English or in the, the Greek. If you just speak Greek, I don't know if you do. Uh, they have the exact same result. If you just take this phrase that's found in our text, the phrase... The works that I do. You just take that phrase in verse 12. The works that I do. You put it in the cursor. You click search and bang. You get only one other text in the Bible that refers to this. And it's John 10, 25. It says this. Jesus answered them. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name. Guess what they do? These testify of me. That's what they do. 
That is my works. That is my life. That is why I'm here. Not just the miracles. Everything I do testifies to the Father. Every breath that I take, I take in the Father. Every lift of my hand, when I touch my hand, anywhere I go and anything I teach, I am pointing people to the Father. This is the works of Jesus. And it's the works of every Christian. John 17, Jesus prayed in verse 4. He says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. I glorified you, and the totality of my work was for that purpose. That's what our life is. 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. My life is that. John 13, 35, we looked at a couple weeks ago. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you live a life of love, you point to Jesus as your Lord and yourself as an authentic, born-again disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. People will know. People will be able to look at you and know that's what your life is for. That is what you exist for. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus lived for the glory of the Father in everything he did. We get to live to the glory of Jesus and the Father in everything we do. Christians are defined by works and life that flows from faith and points everyone to the glory of Jesus. So my conclusion to part number one here of this text is everybody does his works. The way they're defined in verse 11, that they all point to God the Father, defined in, in John 10, 25, defined in Matthew 5, 16, defined in John 13, 35. Every Christian has a life that points to Jesus. And if you don't, in an ultimate sense, you are not a Christian. So, so the basic application question for that is, if you look at your life, if you look at your life in an ultimate sense, does your life point people to Christ? In any way. We always talk about this, right? If, if people were to spend any time with you whatsoever, how long would it take for them to know you're a follower of Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? And if, if you answer, I don't think anything in my life has ever pointed really to Christ, my friends, <laughs> you need to check whether or not you belong to Christ at all. Because it's right here in the text. I'm just giving you the Bible. Don't shoot the messenger. If you're pointing to the devil, pointing to yourself, pointing to your family, pointing to your work, the Bible is clear. You have no basis to consider yourself a believer in an ultimate sense. Believers make choices and say words that make much of Jesus. People look at them. If they have long enough to look at them, they will say, that guy, that lady, they are all about Jesus. They may be a pain in my rear end, but they're about Jesus. Can you say that about your life? Number two. All of us who believe in Jesus will do greater things than Jesus' earthly works. All of us who believe in Jesus will do greater things than Jesus' earthly works. That's just, that's one of these statements, by the way. 
where you say out loud and you like sound heretical, you know what I mean, right? Like you're fearing that you're all just, I don't know where you'd get pitchforks. I mean, it's Callahan, so you probably own one and just find me somewhere with some torches and pitchforks. And we don't do that anymore, do we? I'm really thankful we don't. Uh, But this is one of those statements that just seems to be, are you sure you mean what I think you mean when you're saying that? Well, let's look at the text there. Second half of verse 12. You can argue with the Bible. Don't argue with me. Uh, Let's read the whole thing again in verse 12. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, again, who is this? This is also every Christian. Not just pastors, not just missionaries in raw situations, not just the super spiritual people, but every Christian, he who believes in me, greater works than these he will do. This isn't true of you. Again, no reason to consider yourself a Christian. Pretty sobering reality, is it? You're, fo- you're supposed to feel that burden when you read this text, by the way, because he's going to give you the answer in a couple seconds. This is not just a perplexing text, as I've been saying. It's, a, it's an actually devastating text because of that phrase, whoever believes in me. So again, if greater works means more amazingly miraculous, there are no Christians and there have never been, period. And that's pretty sobering. Walk on water, feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread, raise the dead after four days of being dead. Nobody has ever done those three things, said Jesus, period. Jesus is the only one, let alone more amazing things than that. We can agree. Remember that text in 1 Corinthians 12. There are diverse gifts, therefore this can't mean greater works. Whoever believes does greater miracles than Jesus. So what does it mean? Well, there are a couple clues here as well. First, the phrase at the end of verse 12. It's key. Every word of God, every iota and dot of Scripture is important. Greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And then the other clue in this text is actually found at the end of the Gospel of John in John 20, 21 through 23. It says this there. It says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Let's just stop right there. Does that ring true to what we've been saying in the last 20 minutes? That you're just going to keep on with my work? You're going to keep on extending my God-exalting Christ, vindicating life into the future? I'm sending you out the way I was sent. I was sent by the Father to glorify Him. I was sent to point people to the truth. You go do works that point people to my truth, all kinds. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And then the rest of John 20 says, and, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. Whew, that's big. Okay. So what he's saying here to his disciples is, Not only will you continue my works, you're going to do greater works because I've gone to the Father. Well, let's consider what that means. On his way to the Father, this is what he's thinking, this is his context here, what have we seen him do over the last month on the way to the Father? He's, he's, he's running out statements like these, where I'm going, you cannot go. We know he's going to the cross to die for sins. 
We know he's going to the grave to get a good victory over death. He's coming out of the grave on Easter morning. He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and rule there and intercede. And he's then going to, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights, pour out the Spirit, which is not just any Spirit, but it's his Spirit. It's the Spirit of the living, risen, and crucified Christ. That has never happened before in the history of the world. This is big. This is news. This is the greater here. Now here in John 20, 21 through 23, the continuation of the work gets ramped up with that spirit. He says, so so I'm going to breathe on you now and, and you get ready for this. For when this comes, I will have gone to the Father and this will be me coming to you by the Spirit. And when I come to you, I come to you as the risen Christ triumphant over death. I'm coming to you as one who's finished the great work of redemption, who's paid it all. And by that message, you are now going to go and forgive sinners. Not in the way it's done before in the Old Testament where it's done with anticipation like everybody else did up until my death. But you'll forgive sinners on the basis of the fact that it is finished. I never did that, Jesus says. Jesus never did that in his earthly ministry on earth. Everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry, and he did forgive sins, but he forgave sins in anticipation of someday. This awesome event of God Almighty incarnate. It's going to stretch himself out on the cross. He, did, he forgave sins in anticipation of that. It's where he bears the sins for his people of all time and all place. It's where he puts to death the enmity between the Father and his people. It's where he's going to rise from the dead and pour out his life into every Christian ever. And when they direct people by their lives and their word to this crucified, risen Jesus, they lead people into an experience nobody has ever had before the resurrection of Jesus. Which would be namely the union with the resurrected and crucified Christ. See where I'm going with this or you see where I've arrived? What's new here? What's the greater works that Jesus works on the earth? Never before in history at this moment in time in our text had anyone been forgiven by faith in an already crucified, already risen, already reigning, already indwelling Christ. Nobody has ever been drawn into that experience because he was not yet crucified and he was not yet risen. This is why the Holy Spirit was poured out in the way he was. So all salvation had been up until this point through looking forward to that in anticipation of that through the promise of the kinsman redeemer. Now Jesus has gone to the Father and because I go to the Father, these greater works you will do. What I do when I get to the Father is on the basis of my death, on the basis of my resurrection, I pour out the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of the crucified, glorified, risen Christ, and He's given to every believer to do the works that I do in such a way that it draws people into that saving, new age, new covenant, new reality experience that I've never given anybody on the face of the earth before. And listen to me, friends, you get to take part of that. That's a greater work, which, which means this. Because here's how this text really applies to us today. Let's be honest, friends. You view evangelism as a burden most times. 
Man, I've got to talk to people. Not only that, but I've got to risk my own popularity and status by being that weirdo that shares with him about Jesus. Jesus says this is a greater work than even what I did in my earthly ministry. You sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being able to tell somebody your sins are forgiven on the resurrected Christ, on his work, you being able to tell somebody that is better than raising someone from the dead. Let me ask you a question. If you could do those miracles that Jesus could do, how often do you think you would do that? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, if I could walk on water, I'd want to see how far I could get. You know what I mean? If I could feed 5,000, I'd probably just still feed myself most of the time. But if I could create food without having to do any of the work and just creating it, man, that'd be fantastic. Feast at my house every Sunday. If I could raise people from the dead, there are many I would love to see again and fellowship with. Those would be wonderful, awesome miracles if I could do them. Friends, sharing the gospel with somebody is greater than that. It's better Jesus says that. The work of evangelism, the work of sharing the gospel of the resurrected Christ and watching the spirit of the risen reigning Christ work in the lives of an unbeliever, it is greater than any physical miracle you could ever do. We have to view it this way. We have to change our attitudes when it comes to evangelism. Let's go on. That's the end of number two. I know I haven't left much time for number three, but that's intentional because it's, it's, let's just be honest, it's just as perplexing as the first two points, but uh, it also occurs in chapter 15 and occurs in chapter 16. So we'll come back to this, Lord willing, at least two more times. Therefore, just to give you the summary treatment here, uh, I'm going to give you the big picture of what I think verses 13 and 14 mean, and then we'll go at it. In, in greater detail here, okay? So, so we're going to read it, but, but remember, let's just recap here. The first point of this message was if you're a Christian, you continue the works of Jesus. You show the works of the life of Jesus, which are defined by all that he did that pointed people, that he was true and real, that helped people overcome their unbelief and put their faith in Christ, whatever it may be. The second point is, is the message is, is we do, all of us, greater works than Jesus because we get to point people to Jesus on this side of crucifixion and resurrections. We're pointing them to an experience by the Spirit that had never been encountered before because the Spirit who had existed before was not yet known as the Spirit of the risen and resurrected Christ because he hasn't been crucified or raised from the dead yet. Now our third point. All of us who believe will have access to the living Christ. Because I'm going to be honest, even writing this and explaining this text, the first verse, just verse 12, feels like an incredible burden. Because if you were to ask me if every moment of my life is used pointing people to the life and work of Christ, the answer from even your pastor would be no. And if you were to ask me if my, my attitude about evangelism was always that it was a, it was a work of miracles... It was greater than any physical miracle. I would tell you that there are plenty of times and I've shared the gospel enough to be disheartened by the many of times it's been rejected and I don't view it that way. And so I don't know about you, but I, I feel the need that I, I've got to have some help here. I, I hope you feel that as well. 
And yet, the Lord's faithful to give us that help. Because all of us who believe will have access to the living Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me as we close out this text. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. So, in context here, as you seek to carry on my work, to let your light shine, to live in love, to offer forgiveness, draw people into this unparalleled greater experience of fellowship with the crucified and risen Christ through forgiveness of sins, as you do that, ask whatever you need to get that done, and I'll give it to you. That's a great promise. Now, now what's confusing here? or let's just use the word perplexing since it's been the theme of this text, is, is the conditions we usually expect to be placed on, on a text like this are missing. You know what I mean by that? I'll give you a couple examples because there's no condition like there is in John fifteen seven, which says, if, condition, you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's not here. There's no condition like 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, another condition, we know that he hears us. And whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. That's also missing in this text. No condition like Mark eleven twenty four. All things for which you pray and ask, condition, believe that you have received them and they'll be granted to you. No mention of faith here. There's only one condition mentioned here. Do you see it? In my name. Whatever you ask, in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He even repeats it verse 14. If you ask me anything, in my name I will do it. So here's the key question. And this is just interpreting the Bible 101, by the way. Does Jesus mean that we can ignore all those conditions? The conditions we saw in Mark 11, in 1 John 5, and John 15, we can just absolutize this promise here that if we just fasten the word name, just say the words in Jesus' name to the end of our prayer, he will give us everything we've ever wanted. Or does the phrase in Jesus' name include all those conditions? Those are the two possibilities, by the way. I'm going to go with number two. Because I don't believe any text of the Bible nullifies other texts of the Bible. And we do this, by the way. Please stop treating Jesus like he has to say everything over and over again in every text. He doesn't have to say everything in every text any more than you talk that way. But can the phrase, in my name, bear those conditions? I'm just going to put in a couple sentences and then we'll be done. I think what he's saying is, you'll be given the Holy Spirit, the power of the crucified and risen Christ, and I promise you, I promise you, that as you seek to live out this life of love and these works that are going to point people to me, you cry out to me for what you need to do in that way. I want you to do it, and then I will give you everything you need. Which, would say, which means that I think the phrase in my name has at least four filters for request. Very quickly. This is not a text, by the way, that says, I now give you divinity. 
You may now run the universe just asking in my name. I will obey everything you say. This is not a dethroning of God saying, you come to me, you ask if you can jump off the Empire State Building. I'm not going to grant that. <laughs> I won't even ask my father if I could jump off the temple. I'm not going to let you ask. Here's the four filters. I think when he says, pray in my name, he means, first off, his fame, not yours. Jesus' fame. That rules out Probably about a thousand of my own desires, right? Vain, selfish person that I am. When I pray, I pray with the filter of Jesus' fame, for Jesus' glory, for his fame and not my own. Number two. I think it means pray because of his divine worth, not yours. When you come to the Father in my name or come to me in my name, it's because I am infinitely worthy. You are not. I am. Let my worth shape and filter everything that comes through here. Or, third, pray in my name means pray in Jesus' payment. Pray in the infinite payment that I paid on the cross. Do not come to me with request without the gospel. Don't you come to me for any blessing if you're not resting like a little child in the payment I made for God's yes to his promises in you. You got any angle on how to get to me uh, through my payment, through my name, other than the gospel, and I'm not going to listen to you. Fourth, it's probably the most sweeping. For Jesus' wisdom, in my name, I think means according to my sovereign wisdom, which means we do what Jesus did regularly. Not my will. But thine be done. Because Father, you are the one with the wise plan. I think in your name means I submit to putting all of my requests through the filter of your fame, your worth, your payment, and your wisdom. And when we do that, I think the assurance as we, we get is this. You will have everything you need to live the works that I called you to live. I will give you what you need to do what I never did. Lead people into an experience of being forgiven by the finished work of the Savior in fellowship with the crucified and risen Christ. Friends, that's good news. Let me ask you, does your, your prayer life reflect the request you make to God, which we all do. On, on, on Wednesday night, we do this in prayer meeting. Does it reflect for Jesus' fame? Because of his worthiness, based on his infinite payment, and according to his sovereign wisdom, we ought to pray that way. There's a lot here for us, folks, and I pray we would hear God's word and apply it to our hearts this morning. Let's stand as we pray. Father, you know this is a hard text. I've given, Lord, what I refer to as, as the least it can possibly mean. Lord, it, it at least means this. Lord, if it does mean more than this, would you show us in, in due time? But Lord, we've, we've got enough here, just in what we've discussed today, to occupy us in great desperation for your spirit for a lifetime. Father, I ask that you would come, Lord, that you would save sinners who have been saying to themselves, even throughout this text, if that's what a Christian is, I'm not sure I am one. 
Lord, would you move in power into that life? Would you take all of us who, like me, are weak and struggling Christians and remind us this is not a maybe? Lord, you didn't say whoever believes in me, maybe he will do the works that I do. That, Lord, this is a promise. The promise is because you are God. You are crucified and risen and reigning and present in sweet fellowship with us. Lord, you promise that we will have everything we need to display you in this world. God, you are a, you are a very friendly Savior. Forbid that we would neglect to come in you with prayer, or that we would come with you, Lord, for our own faith, on our own worth, on anything outside the payment of the gospel, and according to our own non-divine wisdom. Lord, may we pray in such a way that reflects we're in full reliance upon you, and we are trusting you that you will give us everything we need to accomplish the work of showing others the gospel of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now comes the time where we respond in song to what God has spoken to us. Let's worship together. Sing with me, O great God. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. I was blinded. I was blinded by my sin. Had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know your love within had no taste for heaven's joys then your spirit gave me life opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son gave me endless hope and peace dependent on your grace keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face let me hear you you are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed oh great God of highest heaven by your name through me you are worthy you are worthy 
Church, you may be seated. A couple of uh, church-wide announcements before uh, we leave today, and then a a couple of of different other things. Um, First off, uh, our deacon nomination process is actually going to begin uh, on May 26th. Um, And so if you want to be removed from the list, uh, would you just do us a favor and call the church office by Tuesday, May 21st. Uh, For some reason, if you don't feel like you're able to serve this time or or God has not called you to that office and you know it, would you just give uh, Miss Andrea a call by the 21st? We would greatly appreciate it. So we could could take your name off the list. If If you don't take your name off the list... You're going to be voted upon, okay? So it saves us an awkward conversation if you would, uh, if you would do that. And then secondly, uh, our family fun day is on June 22nd. Uh, there's an insert in the bulletin with everything that we could need for that day. And we do need a lot of stuff. And then also, you can sign up right back there in that back corner underneath a beautiful mirror there at the Connect table uh, to help with, with family fun day. And then finally... VBS is June 24th to 28th. Uh, many of you probably uh, received from Miss Mary Beth a, uh, a, 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 a little piece of paper that said, this is what you are to bring to VBS. I was told that now is the time to be buying those things. These little flags, that's right. Uh, now is the time to be buying those things and bringing them in. And there are several opportunities we have. If you are not serving in VBS and you are able to do anything Please sign up at the Connect table, see Miss Mary Beth, uh, and we have a place uh, for you. Um, once again, mothers uh, will have a gift at the end of our service. Our ushers will be placed after a closing prayer. And I want to make one other mention. If you noticed today, um, we, we didn't give an invitation to this morning's service. And that's not because we're ending invitations. It's because we're, we're switching up a little bit how we do invitations. We, we feel that as we defined worship this year as a communion with, from God to his people and our responding to him, that we wanted to give you... Uh, a real opportunity to respond. And, and we just began to f- feel like a, a stanza um, and me down front. Was it really time for you to consider and respond all that God has said through his 